We've been in a series for the last month, and we're going to finish it today. And we've been talking about uh, what it means to make a comeback. And we started on Easter Sunday because... You know, the resurrection is the ultimate comeback. I mean, Jesus died, and then he rose from the grave. And that's just the ultimate comeback. We talked about that on Easter Sunday and how powerful that was. But then we moved on the week later, and we, we just looked at the, the required steps for a comeback. You know, being aware of where you are, where you've lost your way, where you've made a detour. Uh, understanding that. Being able to welcome forgiveness or movement forward. Uh, then actually making the step forward. Uh, last two weeks ago, we talked about every, how every comeback needs an immersion. You cannot move forward in a new way without getting immersed into that new way. And we talked about how the Gospels teach us you know, a new reality, a new story, and a new community. But today, I want to I just share this idea with you. Every comeback needs community. There's one thing I want you to leave with today for yourself personally, uh, regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey, uh, regardless if you, you consider Westside your home, and I know many do, or your guest with us today, every comeback needs community. Every comeback needs community. There's a story in, in the Gospels, in Mark chapter uh, 2, verse, verse 1. It's a, it's a really interesting story, and it's, it's, it's actually a, an interesting comeback story. And uh, I want to read it because it, it's, a, it's a both a physical and a spiritual comeback story. It's a physical and a spiritual comeback story. And so let's, let's just jump into it and read. And uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. Otherwise, it's going to be on the screen. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, uh, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. I mean, who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up. He took his mat. And he walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Let's just pause just briefly one more time for prayer. God, we, um, we read this, but we ask you to, to lead us, to guide us, to speak to us. To intersect our hearts right now in this moment. To captivate our attention. To give us a glimpse of who you are and what you want to tell us today. So we just say welcome to that in Christ's name. Amen. This is a really cool story. It's in the context of like the early part of Jesus' ministry. I mean, he, he officially ministered or you know, was teaching and healing and talking for about three and a half years. It's the early part of that. He's already been preaching and healing at this point, and he's heading home. 
going home to his hometown, to his home place to, to get some rest, to, to just take a pause and, and to spend some time at home. But when he gets home, we read the crowds are waiting for him. They're like he's home, but there's people realize that he's home. And of course, he's popular, right? He's healing people. Uh, he's, you know, and so, so the crowd is waiting for him and they end up to kind of really come around his home and want to be with him. And, you know, interesting, it's the perfect opportunity to preach. Jesus, it says that Jesus preached the word. So he's like, great, I have a crowd. Let me just talk to you about the kingdom, talk to you about who God is. And so he, the, the scripture says he preached the word. It's probably code language for he preached about God's kingdom. He preached about the goodness, the good news that God was coming near and breaking into our reality. So he taught them that. But something breaks up this party. Something breaks up this big crowd of people that have all both crowded into his house and outside of his house. Something breaks up the party. It's these four men carrying a paralyzed man. This paralyzed man, is he can't move. And the word is already out, right? Jesus heals. He's healed people. He's helped people. He's, he's helped the lame walk and the blind see. And, and he's been doing some of these things. So this paralyzed man has hope for something of a comeback physically. But there's no room to get this guy to Jesus. There's no room to get him even close because the crowd is just full. So these four guys figure, you know what, let's break through the roof. <laughs> now, I saw Aldo here today, and I told him, I thought about him today. Yeah, he's looking back. That's, that's Priscilla's uncle. He, he works in demolition. He, he destroys streets. He, de- he demolishes streets. But I was thinking about these four guys. They demolished this roof. I mean, they had to break through this roof. Now, now he, he demolishes concrete and asphalt. These guys, I think it was probably just a thick mud slab, you know? But they had to figure out, how are we going to break through this roof to get this guy to Jesus? These four guys probably are thinking, probably have some tools on them. Who knows what they have on them? I mean, they're not just going to break through it with their feet, right? They're, gonna, they're figuring this out. And so they break through the roof. And, I mean, they're thinking through this. This was a plan. They, they lower him down into the house to get him right close to Jesus. They do everything possible to get this guy to Jesus. Now, it tells us that Jesus forgave the man, right? And I think there's a little humor here because the man, like, broke through his roof. <laughs> so I'm thinking Jesus is like... I forgive you. It's cool. We'll be okay. I'll fix the roof. Um, But something really extraordinary happens when they lower him down and there's this conversation that breaks out. Jesus first says, the son of man has the power to forgive your sins. And, And he forgives him of his sins, but he doesn't just do that. He heals him. He heals him. Jesus, or we see here Jesus's desire for us. Right in this moment, his desire for every single person in this room and every single person on the planet, his desire is that we would be free from sin. We would be free from the kind of life that tears us away from God's purposes. So we'd be free from sin and, sin, and the sin that both keeps us from God and keeps us from the life that he longs for us. But then another thing Jesus' desire is healing, that this man would walk again. Now, we know that, that Jesus, like, not everybody gets healed. But every healing points to God's full rest in one day. The scriptures tell us that, that the end of the story in scriptures, the end of the story in history, the end of the story that falls into eternity is God's full restoration of all things. That even the earth groans for that moment. And so, although not everybody gets healed, every healing points to that future full healing 
and future restoration. And so in this conversation, in this moment in Jesus' house, we know two things. Jesus' desire is to free people, you and me, from our sins and to bring healing, both now and if not now, in the fullness of time. And so we have this comeback story. This man who is freed from his sin, but is also healed so he can walk again. He can walk again. And not only does he walk physically, but he walks in freedom. It's this double comeback story, an inside and out comeback story. His heart and his mind and his emotions and everything becomes freed because Jesus brings forgiveness to him and reconciles him to his heavenly father. But he also brings healing on the outside. And so physically, there's a comeback story. And we've been talking lately in our comeback series that we can come back from various things, right? It can be relational, financial, emotional, but we've also been talking about a spiritual comeback. What does a spiritual comeback look like? But here, here's one of the myths that I think our culture tells us, because how many of you guys like love those stories on your BuzzFeed or your, your, your Facebook feed that says like 10 things to do to make you a better person or 10 ways to become more financially free or 10 ways to do this, this and that or 10 exercises. And often it's all about what can I do, right? What's the, what's the exercise I can do? What's the financial path I can take? What's the, what's the routine I can make in my day to fix my life? But I think one of the myths of a comeback is that it's an individual journey. One of the myths of comeback, of making a comeback in life, is that it's all about the individual, that it's all up to you. But I want you to notice one phrase in this text. Verse 5 is such an amazing phrase. Check this out. When Jesus saw, what does it say there? Their faith. When Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. And I think this is amazing because, you know, the roof breaks open. This guy comes down. However they got him down, ropes, whatever. Jesus saw their faith. Whose faith does he see? The four guys on the roof. He's he's like looking past the paralyzed guy and he's looking up to the four guys on the roof and says, he saw their faith, the four guys on the roof that went to all that trouble to get this guy close to Jesus. I love that little phrase. Because there was other people in the house that day, right? The house was crowded. There was probably other people that even needed to be, needed to be healed. There was other people that needed to hear about the forgiveness of Jesus. And he could have healed and forgiven all those people. But Mark highlights this one Instance. Well, obviously because they broke through the roof. That was pretty cool. But secondly, I think it because it involved community. It involved other people. It wasn't just about the individual. Jesus saw their faith. See, other people were needed to make this person's comeback possible. Those four guys were, were necessary in this guy's story. The man would have never made it to Jesus without the help of these four friends. We don't even know who they are. They could have been friends, neighbors. They could have been a bunch of guys from the local synagogue. They could have been extended family. They could have been co-workers. We have no clue who they are. We just know that these four guys brought brought this man to Jesus. The point is that they were part of his story. They were part of his comeback story. They didn't let this paralyzed man stay stuck. They engaged his story and helped him move forward both out of his sin and out of his sickness. And I think there's an important point here. Anything of value in our lives, we have to acknowledge 
that it usually involves other people. Isn't that true? Anything of value in our lives involves other people. I love books for this, right? Because, you know, you read a book and you're like, that was an amazing book, right? And so what do you normally read on the book? The title and what else do you read in the, the, the front of the book? The author, right? So title, author. Maybe there's a forward by so-and-so, an endorsement in the back, right? But it's highlighted, right? Title and author. Like, who wrote Harry Potter? We know, right? Who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia? We can tell you. C.S. Lewis, the Lord of the Rings, you know, J.R.R. Tolkien. We know the, the title and the author. But when you open the book, either in the front or the back, there's always this one section. Do you know what it's called? The Acknowledgements. The Acknowledgements section. And you read through the Acknowledgements section, and the author goes on to say how indebted he is to his publisher or her publisher to a friend who read the manuscript and gave some incredible input, to a mentor of theirs that you know, helped them along the way and, and spoke into their lives, um, to maybe a class that they were a part of, maybe students, if, the, if the, the author's a teacher, to the students that gave feedback, and then often maybe to a spouse or a really close friend that just helped them along this journey. I love that section of a book because it means that this book was not created by that one individual. It was actually created by a community of people, Right? Read the acknowledgments and you'll know that that book was created by more than one person. It was by a group of people. Henry Cloud's newest book is called, um, I think it's called The Power of the Other. And he talks about how influential people are in our lives, both good and bad. But how we need to recognize there are people who've helped us along the way. There's people who've cheered you on. There's people who've supported, mentored you, fed you, teamed up with you held you accountable, prayed with you, shared wisdom with you. It's all about other people, right? And so here's this paralyzed man who, find, who gets a comeback, but he could never have done it alone. He had people that walked with him. And so just for a moment, I want to just highlight what would it mean to be that kind of community to walk with people? For sure, for you and me, if, if we're at a point in our lives where we need, we need to move out of something or grow into something or come back from something, the main idea here is don't do it alone. But I want to flip this idea for a second. What kind of people can we become? What kind of church or community or family can we become so we can become a comeback community? What if, a fa- what if a family or an extended family said, we're going to become a comeback community for anybody who, who gets lost along the way or falls off course, but we're, we're, going to, we're going to be that kind of community that help them move forward? What if we become the kind of church, a church family that says, we're going to be a comeback community to help people when they can't do it on their own to move forward into God's purpose for their life? And so here's a few things, I just, just some, some words I want you to remember. What kind of community can we be? And you can apply this to your home, you can apply this to you know, a, a smaller community. I want to apply it to our church. So the first idea is safe, that we become a safe community. Uh, in a sense, when, when we have a safe community, then people feel the safety to be vulnerable. So whether that paralyzed man was sick, was, couldn't walk and had to say, I cannot get there, can you take me? That was that man becoming vulnerable. Whether you're going through something emotional or physical or relational or financial, to to be in a safe community would be so beautiful because you have the freedom to say, I can't get there by myself. I'm stuck. James 5.16 says this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I don't know about you, but confession requires vulnerability, right? And confession normally comes 
out of a sense of safety. I feel safe here. I can confess. I can share my burden. I can share where I've gone off. So vulnerability leads to confession and it gives people access to us. Access to help. In James' case, he says, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other, and what happens? Healing happens. Healing takes place. Spiritual, emotional, physical healing takes place. There was a girl in our church several years ago who um, was just, you know, dynamic person, dynamic in her faith, dynamic in how she served God. And she took a turn in her life that just... Um, was leading her down just a path that was destructive for her. And not just spiritually, but in other ways. And I remember watching that happen and being a little fearful because just seeing where she was headed. But, you know, by God's grace, uh, a certain event happened that kind of just just broke that cycle. And, and this is amazing what happened. She had called my wife and I, and asked that just a few, a few in our church community, there was maybe eight or ten people who literally all got together in a living room with this person, and this person bared their soul, shared kind of where she had gone these last, this last year or two. And the kind of like love and grace that came around this person literally helped her come back. Literally helped her come back. But that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't a safe environment. That wouldn't have happened if she didn't feel safe enough to be vulnerable, to, to confess, to share, to be open. And so safety led to a comeback. I think another word is maybe supportive. How do we become a supportive community with one another? I love this verse in Romans 15.1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Now, one second. Hey, before you, you read strong, you're like, hey, I'm strong. Strong is relative, right? Let's just... Clear that up. We who are strong, maybe in a moment you're stronger than another person. But maybe in another part of your journey, you're the weaker one. So strong is relative. But the point is, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So we bear with one another. We support each other. We walk through things with each other. The other word I want to just leave you with is this word shepherding. Imagine our church became a shepherding community where people with pastoral gifts, not just the pastor, people with shepherding gifts, pastoral gifts, were pastoring one another. I've seen this happen in our community groups and outside of our community groups, but often in pockets where people feel that they can uh, share and grow. But imagine like that we had pastors grow up in our church. And when I say the word pastor, I mean people with shepherding gifts to help people through their journey. There was a family just a couple of years ago that was walking through a very difficult uh, ordeal in their lives. And it was complicated. It was financial. It was uh, relational. It was emotional. It was spiritual. And their community group and one or two key people just came around them. And I'm telling you, the complexity of what people did for them was incredible. You couldn't pay people enough to help to, to do what they did for this one family. And, and literally, like a year, year and a half later... Stuff like this, this just things started to change. But it's because people came around and said, No, we can shepherd, we can shepherd you through this. And some people with certain gifts helped in certain ways. But here's the last piece, and it's, it's this one piece that I think is probably the most important it's sacrificial. What if, how do we become a, a sacrificial community? Or if, if you're thinking about how to be a comeback person with people or in community, 
to be sacrificial. Think about these four guys. These four guys, they did not have to carry this guy. They didn't have to. They didn't have to stop. They didn't have to help. They didn't have to exert their, their, their effort, their strength, right? These four guys, they worked and they used their creativity to get this guy to Jesus. That's what they did. They sacrificed maybe their resources, their time, their energy, maybe even their reputation. Like, okay, guys, this is going to look weird. We're going to get this guy up the roof. People are going to think we're nuts. But they, they sacrificed even their reputation because this paralyzed man could not get to Jesus. So they said, we are going to get him to Jesus. These four guys sacrificed. You know what? But we don't often think about this. Jesus in a human way sacrificed. Scholars say that this was likely, very likely Jesus' house. Okay? So, I don't know. If you're an introvert and you don't like parties, crowded house, people outside the door waiting to get in, I'm not saying Jesus was an introvert. I don't really know. But I, but I, can, I can bet that in a human way, Jesus like... Everybody's in my house. I just came back from like talking and preaching and teaching and healing, and I just we're just home for a second, and now it's crowded. But Jesus takes time to be with them and talk to them. Jesus did something, yeah, sure. Jesus did something supernatural for this man that we can't do, right? We're not God. Through Christ, healings take place through the power of His Spirit. But I personally don't have the power to heal anybody. I personally don't have the power to say, God, forgive you. I know God will forgive, but it's God who forgives. But Jesus did something that all of us can do that was not supernatural. He used his house. He used his resources. He used his space to, to help people to see this man come back. And so just to, to wrap this up, we, imagine we became that kind of community, that kind of comeback community that was safe and shepherding and supportive and sacrificial, that we became that kind of people, that our, that our homes or networks became that kind of community. Why? So we can help people make a comeback, but also so we can help people get to Jesus. These four people, they sacrificed, they were supportive, they moved forward, they helped this paralyzed man get to Jesus. But here, here, here's the beauty here. Jesus saw their faith I love that line. Remember that line. Remember that line. Because you will, at a mo- some moments in your life, you will feel like you don't have faith. And you will need someone else's faith. And at some point, there's going to be people in your lives that feel like they don't have enough faith. And they're going to need your faith. And Jesus will see the other faith, in a sense, and respond. Isn't that amazing? There's a, a girl named Lauren Winner, and she became a Christ follower in her, in, her, in her late teens, 19, 20 years old. She came from an Orthodox Jewish background, then very smart girl. She teaches at, at uh, Duke University these days. She became a Christian at 19, 20 years old. She followed Christ for seven years, and um, then later, about three or four years later, maybe 10 years into her journey with Christ, everything in her life started crumbling. Her mom passed away three weeks before she got married. And then she got married, and there was already struggles in this, like in the relationship. She still got married. A couple of years in, the marriage failed. Here she is teaching religion at Duke, and, and her life is crumbling apart. And she, she, she writes this book called Middle, if you ever get a chance to read it. 
And the book is, is called Middle because she had the, the start of her journey of faith and she knows it's not over because something else is coming, but she feels like she's in the middle and it's just dark. But she says, she says one line that just jumped out at me. She would still go to church and say the prayers and listen to the music and be in community, but she would say this. She says, I was muttering the prayers. I was listening to the readings. And then she said lines like this, I was leaning on the faith of my community. And she said, in that middle dark moment of my life, I didn't feel like I had the faith to keep going. But my community, they did. And I leaned on them. And I muttered their prayers. And I listened to their readings. And I hung out in their home. And we still did potlucks. And, we, and so she said, that got me through the middle. Their faith got me through the middle to keep moving in my faith. I'm going to ask you to stand as we come to a close this morning and, um, and just encourage you, when you come into a moment like this, do not be afraid to lean on other people's faith. And if you're, you're the strong one in that season, be the kind of person to recognize that there will be other people who will need to lean on your faith. But ultimately, we want, we want to be like those four guys. We want to be that kind of comeback community that helps people make comebacks and that helps people really make, make it to Jesus. Because in the end, it's not really getting just to us. We are God's vessel. We want to get people to Jesus. He's the source of forgiveness, the source of transformation. So I encourage you to lean that way. And, and um, if you're here today for the, and you're just exploring this and wondering, like, what is church about? You know what we talked about today? That's what church is about. I'll be the first one to tell you that there's been moments in my life where I had to, I've had to lean on other people in our church community. And I'm the pastor. And that's because if we want to be a comeback community, we need to be able to lean on each other. So that's what church is. Not perfect people. Not, not spectacularly spiritual people all the time. It's people that are growing in faith, pursuing the Lord, but sometimes they need to lean on each other along the way. And so if you're exploring faith, the only next step I would ask you to do today is come back. Come back and keep exploring. Come back and keep exploring. We promise we'll do our best to be sincere about the faith we share in Jesus uh, to help you understand and, and uh, explore who he is. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful, God, because... Um, Lord, we're grateful because even in moments in our lives where we have felt like we lost our way, we thank you for others who you have placed in our path that we could look to and, and lean on. We're thankful for their faith in those moments. And we're so thankful that Jesus showed us that even when our faith is weak, he is strong. And when, even when our faith is weak, at times he will look at the faith of others and respond and intervene in our lives. God, we say thank you for that. Lord, may we increasingly become a people in our everyday lives and a community that helps people come back. May we be a safe and supportive and shepherding and sacrificial community. May we create pockets of that in our city through community groups and networks and neighborhoods and families. And God, may we continue to point people to the ultimate source of forgiveness and healing and hope, and that's Jesus. 
Lord, we want to become this kind of community because we know that when people come to Jesus, their lives will be transformed. We long for that. So for anyone here today, God, regardless of where they are in their spiritual journey, Lord, maybe there's someone here who's been following you for a long time, but they are just praying and yearning for a comeback in their lives. May they depend on you, but also may you show them that, that, they can, that they're part of a larger community that you want to use to speak into their lives. Maybe some here for the first time wanting to know who Jesus is. I pray that this was good news to them today. That they could see the gospel that reconciles us to you and us to one another. We thank you for the the power that took place with the cross and resurrection to make that happen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.